You are listening to the Therefore a Geek Podcast, episode 36. Monster man. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. Hi everybody, and welcome to Therefore a Geek. I'm Andrew, and today I'm joined by Rob Floyd. Rob is uh, a local kind of resident B movie expert, so we thought we'd get <laughs> him to come in and, and talk B movies with us. All right, yeah, whatever you want to talk about. Yes, I appreciate you coming out. And um, so we uh, were just talking just before we started here. Uh, Tracy and I ran into uh, Rob for the first time at uh, MarsCon. He did a panel on B-movies. It was about a two-hour panel. We cut the last half because we went to the wrong panel room. (laughs) We were actually in the room next door (laughs) for the... um, the Princess Bride uh, discussion panel. <laughs> so you're like, this isn't. Are they going to get to be? And then we're like, that's been a long time on one movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, finally we pulled out the program. We're like, oh, we are in the wrong damn room. <laughs> we should probably go to the other room now. Um, but yeah, we had, I mean, it was a it was a fantastic panel. And oh, uh, thanks. So from that point on, we decided we really wanted to get you in and just uh, you know run it ran into each other a couple couple different shows and uh, finally got it to, to yeah. happen. So yeah. Well, let me, in, in my defense, let me just say, uh, first off, uh, <laughs> it, that was a two-hour panel, and I'm not that narcissistic that I like to hear myself talk for two hours, but <laughs> uh, it's it was one, it's one of those things when I was putting it together, it just it just kept building and building. It's like, oh, I can't leave that out. Oh, I can't leave that out. Oh, I got to, you know, got to mention this. And it went by pretty fast. Um, before I turned around, it was like, oh, I've got 15 minutes left. I got to wrap this up, so... Well, and it's one of those things. the 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 panel itself was actually um, it was it didn't even encompass what I call the entirety of movies. It was really oh no from uh-huh. like, from the nineteen thirties or forties or so to like the nineteen sixties, where we kind of the, the shift from kind of the the paranormal mm-hmm. uh, to to the more the scientific. You know, because we got like the atom bomb and stuff. Oh and, yeah, and that, that that shift and that was mm-hmm. I thought it was a really fascinating um, direction to take things. Oh yeah, yeah. That, you know, I love that that era. Um, talking about the atomic stuff, the atomic fifties movies. Yeah. Um, I did a panel on just that at um, Fantasy. I think it was last year. Um, I believe it was anyway. Just put the atomic fifties, uh, the giant bug movies, and the uh, you know hide your head under your desk and the atomic bombs coming and all that yeah. stuff. Uh, it's a real fascinating era of sci-fi that, you know, doesn't get a whole lot of love from a lot of people uh, or in, in general media and stuff. Yeah. But there was a ton of those movies and they're a lot of fun. As cheesy as they are, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. So we, we've, we've thrown out, thrown around the term B movie here a couple of times already. So define for, for the honest, what, what a B movie actually, oh. actually is. All right. All right. Well, originally B movies were, just that they were the B picture to the A picture. They would release uh, two movies at a time on a double bill, and one was your A picture, your big stars, uh, you know, your your name movie that was going to be the hit, and the other was just maybe a lower budget, had some minor, lesser stars, and was tacked on at the end just to sell the two movie package. And um, it 
over the time it just come it has come to mean a low budget movie uh cheesy movie you know not not quite as good and definitely has what they would call B-list stars. Right. Lesser stars that quite, you know, might not quite have, have made it to the big time or have fallen from the big time, and this is this is the level they're at now. Yeah. Now, I should point out, you know, a lot of these, you're talking about lower-level actors, mm-hmm. a lot of these actors are still, well, no, I mean, you talk about a lot of the, the, the old, the old um, horror monster actors, mm-hmm. Lon Chaney and those kind of guys. Oh, yeah. They all had a real... You know, I mean, they're 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 well known. Mm-hmm. They were they really weren't the the A list actors of their day. Well, they were at first. Like uh, Cheney uh, Senior was definitely an A list actor when he was in the Silence. Uh, Lagosi, Karloff, uh, Cheney Junior. They were all um, A list actors at first. Uh, the first big movie, Frankenstein, the first Dracula, they were huge right. hits. Uh, Lugosi made some bad choices in life and bad choices in acting after that. And he oh. went down the pole to where he was acting with the, the East Side Kids. And, you know, Bill Lugosi meets the Brooklyn Gorilla and Ed Wood and things like oh, that. Would, um, you know, and Cheney Jr., uh, he gets a lot of flack for uh, not being a great actor. But, man, he I, I've, he's one of my favorites. He plays that uh, kind of tortured every man like nobody's business, you know. And he started out with The Wolfman, which was, you know, a pretty big hit for 41. And then Frankenstein meets The Wolfman, and he played every universal monster uh, of that time. Frankenstein, The Mummy, Dracula. But nobody else played The Wolfman except him, which was kind of cool. But same thing. The monster's kind of fallen out of favor over the, you know, the next few years after that. So they kind of take what they can get. But there's a lot of actors who've come and gone and who were... um, Vincent Price, a big, uh, good example. He's done A-list pictures, and then he's done B-list pictures, and gone back to doing A-list pictures. You know, right? It's like it doesn't hurt him. And there's a few out there like that that that's happened to. Yeah. Um, Roddy McDowell is another one that springs to mind. Um, Charlton Heston. Really? I mean, well, Ten Commandments. Right. Uh, no, yeah, you know, yeah. big movies, and then yeah. he'll go and do something like, well, Planet of the Apes was. It became a hit, but it didn't start out. They didn't weren't expecting it to be a big hit. And then, like, Soylent Green. Uh, one of my favorite movies, The Omega Man. Okay. One of yeah. his, which was, you know, it's a low-budget kind of sci-fi movie. Yeah. Not the grand scale of, like, uh, you know, Ten Commandments or something like right. that that he's done. But it never hurt him. He'd go back to do a big movie, and he'd, he'd you know, he even did TV for a little while. I mean, you know. Yeah. So some guys can pull it off. Some guys get stuck in that B movie uh, yeah. rut, though. Next time we went to the uh, uh, Bella Lugosi and the Ed Wood and we're doing, uh Plan Nine from Outer Space. Oh yeah, I went to the um, the riff tracks of that. Oh, <laughs> and cool. They um, they pointed out and they're they're right because I guess Bella Lugosi actually died in the middle of that production. Mm-hmm. And there's like four or five different guys, like so, like he died in the middle, so they they, they still had the the character around, which didn't. The character didn't really do much in the first place, but yeah, he kind of he kind of walked around with like his cape in front of his face, mm-hmm. and there were at least four or five different guys of radically different build <laughs> that yeah. replaced him, in, <laughs> just kind of stand in. Just like, oh, yeah, the guy that, that gets the most credit was uh, I think Ed Wood's girlfriend's chiropractor, uh, <laughs> Tom uh, Doctor. I can't remember his last name. Tom something. But uh, he's the one they talk about in the Ed Wood the movie, the yeah. Johnny Depp movie, and 
man. No, he looked nothing like Lugosi. <laughs> but that was a great movie, though. Um, as as close as it was to Edward's story and fictionalized as it was, it was still entertaining as hell. Yeah. And Landau was Lugosi, and that was incredible. He deserved the Academy Award that he got for that. Nice. It's a, unfortunately, I, mean, like, I, I enjoy movies. I have not had the chance to see nearly as many of them as I would like to. Oh, come on out to Phantasmo every yeah. other month. We, uh, you know, over in Chesapeake at the library there, we try to show, <laughs> I want to tell people, we show the best and the worst cult movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> and we have shown some stinkers too. Uh, but we, we showed Ed Wood uh, and, and Plan 9. And we actually had a, got the, uh, the guy that, uh, oh, I'm ashamed I can't remember his name right now. He was in Plan 9. He was one of the pilots. Name escapes me. I'll think of it as soon as we stop talking. But we uh, got him to call in and did an interview over the loudspeaker before the movie. That's cool. And got people to ask him questions. Yeah, He was a nice guy. That was a lot of fun. Nice. How have B-movie kind of changed over over time? We mentioned a little bit of, you know, from going from like the the, the real supernatural stuff Mm -hmm. to the the atomic films of the 50s. Yeah. Kind of where where did things go from there? Well, the biggest change is... Uh, technology has has made the change more than anything because nowadays anybody can make a movie and back then uh the 70s you know the 60s 50s 60s 70s even the 80s and you know into the 90s a bit um but mostly the golden era is like the 60s and the 50s through the 70s yeah. um you know you had to make a film you had to make a a movie you know, it wasn't just shooting it on your phone or on a video camera. Right, it required yeah. a certain amount of technical technical knowledge yeah. and skill. And these people didn't think they were making big movies. They thought they were making a you know a big movie uh, or a low budget movie, but they were making a movie. So they put you know their heart and soul into it. You know, yeah. everything they could. And a lot of people did double duty. You know, they would be if, if the guy was. Uh, he got killed in the first scene. Well, he was the lighting guy for the rest of the movie. I mean, right. <laughs> they all helped out and pitched in a lot of these movies. And uh, it, no matter how good or bad they were, there's a lot of heart in a lot of them, uh, even if they are really bad. But the cl- the more you get to closer to today with technology, and anybody can make a movie. Um, some people are making decent movies at, at at home on their home computer, you know, editing and everything, uh, shooting on a little camera that's probably you know th- twenty times smaller than the big movie cameras used to be. Right, and. Then there's people who are making total crap <laughs> doing the same thing, but it's because everybody has access to the technology and everybody, you know, thinks they can do it. And it's gone so far into where B movies are so uh, chic or in vogue to like or to yeah. hate that, um, I mean, look at Sci Fi Channel. They're making purposefully cheesy, sh- you know, B movies. Yeah. And they're enjoyable to a degree but they just don't have the same they're making them expressly with the purpose of being a cheesy not you know nudge nudge wink wink kind of thing where a lot of these movies earlier um some of them aren't that bad some of them are but it was by accident that they became that way they weren't designed right for that to happen you know so i think that's the biggest the biggest difference in stuff that's coming out today that ends up being a B movie and stuff that was in the past. A lot of it today is designed to be that way. Right. Makes sense. So um, where does kind of some of the, I know the seventies, like the, the grindhouse and the exploitation films to kind of fall into that, into that. Where do they fall? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they're all pretty much all are what you'd call B movies. 
uh, not all are cult movies. I, you know, cult movie and B movie, it's kind of a fine line because there's some big budget movies that weren't really B movies that just didn't take off or make a lot of money, but they've developed a cult following over the years. Yeah. And then there's some B movies that have done the same thing, but they were low budget B movies and never even never made it, you know, as a big release. Um, the Grindhouse stuff from the 70s, pretty much all of it was low budget, turned out, quickie movies. Um, the term Grindhouse itself is, there's a couple different schools of thought of where that came from. One is that, because uh, they were shown mainly in old grind houses, which were converted uh, vaudeville stripper okay. theaters, grind bump and grind houses, right. converted to movie theaters <laughs> when vaudeville fell out. And then there's another... Uh, way of thinking people think that it's because uh, they just they would grind those movies out quick you know they like one a week baby and that's yeah. why in a lot of those movies um which is a g- genius of the tarantino uh rodriguez movie you would see a lot of the same actors in the same movies over yeah. and over and over again playing completely different parts and all that and they do that in grindhouse you see some of the same ones in from planet terror in um death proof and in some of the trailers you know that in between the two movies uh, that it was what makes that so cool because it's they I mean they really thought and knew what they were talking about yeah um, but there's ton, yeah there's tons of those movies that came out of that uh, era and like a 42nd Street in New York was the grindhouse capital of the world that's where the deuce that's where all these movies re- you know you could go down the street and you might see I, there's you know theaters as far as you could see down there and you could go into one theater and see a kung fu movie and come out and go in the next theater and see you know, a comedy and go in the next theater and see a porno and then go in the next theater down and see an action and go see another Kung Fu movie, go across the street, see a horror movie, go, you know, and see an uh, old classic and then go see another, just a a movie. You couldn't explain what it was from. And you might see the same actor in four of those movies. Right. (laughs) Right. And I actually, um, I actually went to school in New York and uh, a couple of my friends, one, one in particular was, was real adept at finding, I don't, know, I don't know. I don't know where that. A couple of that were down like in the village around like Chelsea. Yeah, he found a couple like still functioning. Oh, fantastic! Heads. He went to one. It was a. It was a western. It was a western double feature, and one of the films was actually missing a reel. Oh yeah. Uh huh. So, <laughs> so like he lost like. Thankfully, he'd seen it before. He lost, <laughs> but he lost like thirty minutes in the middle of the film. Oh yeah. Well, that wasn't uncommon. It's, oh yeah. Especially you know on the grindhouse circuit because the movies would go from theater to theater to theater. Like the movie you'd see on one theater might a week after next be playing down the block, the same movie, yeah. same print, but playing a different theater down the block, or they'd get shipped across country and different theater owners might decide to edit. If they didn't want to show, you know, hard, hardcore gore, they might even yep. edit it themselves at the theater. So that's why different prints of different copies will show up occasionally from time to time. Uh, even on video releases, depending on where, what they struck the print from. But, um, you, <laughs> yeah, you would see, uh, different cuts, different prints and you'd think, and also different titles. That was another thing. They would change the title to try to get more play out of it. <laughs> so you'd go see, Interesting. yeah, you might go see, um, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm drawing a blank now of a, a one of them, but there's a lot of, you might go see, say a horror movie at theater one 
on Friday, and then next Wednesday you go to theater five down the street, and there's another horror movie. You're like, cool, and you go in there and start watching it, and it's the same movie you saw the week before, but under a different title. <laughs> That's spectacular. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it happened. It, they always change the titles just about on any foreign movies that came over. Yeah, but a lot of American movies they would do. It's like, um, oh, what is it? Black Christmas. Um, the original Black Christmas comes on. Uh, that was another title too. Oh man, I can't think of it on top of my head. But I've seen a trailer for it under a different title. I'm like, wait a minute, that's Black Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, and that, like I said, that wasn't uncommon. Uh, that happened a lot to a lot of those movies. So, so what, in your opinion, makes B movies so fantastic? Well, it, they come from, especially that, that era, from the 50s through the early 80s, at a time when people cared about making movies and cared about what they were doing. And it it shows whether it's a good or a bad movie. They Like I said earlier, they put everything they had into it. And even if it's bad, um, you know, these people were, were trying to do the best they could. Right. You know, and it, there's no really pretentiousness to it, whereas a lot of movies today, you know, uh, some that come out, it just seems like they're, I can't think of another, a better way to describe it than pretentious, uh, trying to, you know, instead of just trying to entertain you, right. you know, they're trying to express, you know, well, this is my vision of how it should be or what it is. And it's like, dude, just blow something up, you know, <laughs> or yeah, make, make something for the sake of entertainment. Yeah. Show me. A, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Show me a monster, you know? It doesn't have to be this super deep psychological thrill. <laughs> Though, now, I'm not knocking that stuff. That stuff is good no, when, there, when there, it's done well. There have been some very good ones that come out. There have oh, also yeah. been some really, really awful ones. Yeah. It, and there's when it's done well, it's done great. But the, the stuff from that era, the appeal of it is, I mean, the cheesy factor of it, where you know, you, it, when you know what you're getting into. Oh, yeah. You know, and you just grab some popcorn and a drink and just enjoy the ride. <laughs> you're not there for anything else than to just be entertained for an hour and a half. And, um, you know, and, and to see the actors that you are familiar with and that you've, you know, probably seen in movies since you were a kid, you know, and doing all manner of different things, whether it's, a, you know, a car movie like um, Vanishing Point or a horror movie like Texas Chainsaw or uh, one of my favorite Grave of the Vampire was one of my favorites or Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, <laughs> uh, stuff like that. Or, you know, it could be a Kung Fu movie, a Bruce Lee movie or another uh, Chop Saki from, you know, the 70s. Right. They're just fun. Some are over the top. Some are real low key and subdued, but they're just a lot of fun and not... You're you're not expecting a big super summer blockbuster like everything has to be right. these days. You know, it's just a sometimes it's a, a a good little story and you know you get what you want out of it. And sometimes it's so cheesy and so bad you you laugh at it and enjoy it for that too. You know. Yeah, there there've been a couple, we've done a few a few B movie like reviews, and there have been a couple of them that that have been spectacularly awful <laughs> but they're just so much um Santa Claus conquers the Martians oh yeah and, i mean it was it was painful to watch at times but yeah. at the same time it was like you know and it's one of those it's amusing yeah it's one of those you've heard the title before and if you've never seen it you you have to see it at yep. least you know at least once uh there's another one that i i i really like it was a mexican film just called Santa Claus and it came out, I want to say, in the early 60s. And I do have a copy of it. That's It's not a great copy on uh, DVD. 
picked up one of those dollar DVDs and little yeah. sleeve, you know. And um, it's pretty much Santa Claus versus the devil <laughs> from his, I, I want to like, say, like mountaintop spaceship lair, the Santa Claus, where he can see everybody in the world. Um, has this computer that's like a pair of lips, which is really creepy, that talks to him. And the guy in the devil costume is just, oh, it's so bad. It's it's great. Um, I, I can't tell you a whole lot about it because I've only watched it in bits and pieces at a time. <laughs> I've never sat down and watched it straight through. I've watched like, you know, 15 or 20 minutes here. Then I'll pick it up in the middle later or watch the end and come back. And, right. uh, but I do run it every year at Christmas at Phantasmo before the movie we're showing, like as people are coming in. Oh, I'm, have to, and, I'm definitely gonna have to make it make an effort to make, especially the Christmas. <laughs> like I, I, I have meant to get to Phantasmo a couple times, and just scheduling has not worked out oh, for right. me. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, but uh, now that you've said that, I'm definitely gonna have to make an, <laughs> a, a hard effort to to make it to Christmas. Oh yeah, well you know I try to run cool stuff before the movies. Yeah, um, whether it's trailers or whether it's like old commercials or just or something. But at Christmas, I always run the doors open at seven. The movies don't start till eight, so. Um, I'll start that up and just let that run. <laughs> so it's this bizarre Santa Claus and devil and these little kids from around the world. And it's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> That's spectacular. So, um, how did, how did you come to come to love B movies so much? Where, where did, where did your, oh, your passion for them come from? Um, a lot of things. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, I mean, grew up watching TV. I was an only child. So, you know, I spent a lot of time, uh, <laughs> in front of the TV and a lot of late nights watching because, you know, back in, um, before cable, uh, before DVDs, before Netflix and all that, you had three channels, maybe two or three more with UHF. And so you you saw what they showed, you know, and staying up late on the weekends and watching TV, you know, just any sci-fi or horror movie that came on, I had to see it. Watch a lot of old classics with my mom and stuff. And a lot of, a lot of, uh, communities had like late night B movie hosts. Oh yeah, oh um, yeah. I believe uh, not having grown up here, but I believe the local one was Doctor Madblood. Doctor Madblood, yes, indeed. I grew up watching every Saturday <laughs> night. Saturday Night Live would go off, and I would be sitting there waiting for Doctor Madblood every Saturday night. I did not miss a one. Uh, you know, until I got older, adolescent, well, until a teenager and driving and stuff. And then, right. I, then still I would watch as many as I could yep. <laughs> and love the show. Um, and we, we have, he comes to monster fest every year, which is kind of really a nice, uh, you know, feather in the cap for me. It means a lot to me that he shows up to that, but yeah, he showed, man, that's where I got my first exposure to like the great universal classics and also some real Kerstinkers, uh, too, some really <laughs> bad ones. Uh, but it, that's a lot of fun, the horror host late at night, you know. You're sitting up late by yourself, and there's somebody else who says, hey, it's okay to like this stuff, you know. And uh, between Mad Blood and Famous Monsters magazine, uh, that kind of fostered my love for you know, classic horror stuff. And of course, they'd talk about some not-classic stuff, and then that stuff would show up Saturday afternoons on TV or would show up uh, right. late night. And I don't know. I just it it just felt you know it, it's like hey this is I'll, this is for me. They're making these movies for me. You know? <laughs> uh, probably the most famous of the the late night host uh, Elvira. Oh yeah, she um she put out a number of of DVDs of you know like double feature oh, DVDs. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And I've I've, uh, I've been able to pick up a number of them, and on more than one occasion we've had like a, a bad movie night. <laughs> Where it's like me and a couple of friends, some pizza, and like a couple of bottles of liquor, and that, we'll just there sit you and go. <laughs> we were watching like I think it was 
Frankenstein's daughter meets Jesse James. Uh, and it was yeah. it was one of the most bizarre things. <laughs> yeah. It did like it didn't help that we were drinking heavily, <laughs> but need, it was a lot of fun. You need to do that double feature of that with Billy the Kid versus Dracula or oh, meets Dracula. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah, I think John Carradine's in that. Uh talk about a cat that would do anything. <laughs> but yeah, those man, yeah, she's got a whole series of those discs that have just some of the, not the classics, let's say. That. <laughs> right, well, I mean, her shtick was, was making fun of a lot. Of, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so there, there were a couple of them that were, a couple of them aren't bad, but yeah, some of them are real, real awful. Yeah. Yeah, like, let's see, what's some of those, are like, Werewolf of Washington, and they saved Hitler's brain, and. Uh... Oh, there was one, there was one, I cannot. It was it was some doomsday device and and like so a crew had to go out into space like say you know like oh save I humanity. think I know the one you're talking about and it actually I mean it was it was you know very cheaply made one but like yeah it, up until about the last 15 minutes it was it was okay and then like it looked like they ran out of money <laughs> so like they just put like they put helmets on people so you couldn't tell who they were. Mm-hmm. And like the entire like last fifteen minutes were like these just two helmeted characters sitting down and talk like at a console <laughs> talking to each other while like lights flashed around them and it was really really bizarre. Oh, that's fantastic! I love that. <laughs> Man, yeah, yeah, you know, and all all the horror hosts um, would you know would 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 take jabs at the movies, especially if they weren't weren't good classic like Universal or Hammer stuff, right? And you know, it'd make you, you'd know it was okay to laugh at them and, and, uh, and okay to, to like them at the same time, you know? Yeah. So that was really cool. It's a shame that there's no, because of cable and stuff like that, there's really no locally produced television anywhere anymore. Very rarely do you see it. Um, most horror hosts nowadays are on the internet. Yeah. I've, I've, I've come across, I can't remember where, why, where I originally came across them. It was like, it was a, some convention. Um, I found like one that's like a local cable access still. Yeah, well, um, up in somewhere out like the Midwest is uh, Marlena oh. Midnight, I think. Oh, okay. There's still a few out there that that managed to get on either public access or some of the local channels. Up in Fairfax, the Monster Madhouse, uh, they're on up there on TV, and up in uh, I want to say up in New England area, Penny Dreadful is on quite a few stations up that way, syndicated up there. Okay. And uh, she does a neat show. Um, they're, and she's really nice. We've had her at Monster Fest, her and her crew, and they're really nice folks, too. Very nice. So I know in addition to kind of, kind of, you know, the, uh, the the panel work, you've also done it, your involvement in, in B-movies. There's a little bit beyond that. Um, you were... You were pretty heavily involved with uh Rocky Horror Picture Show for a while, if I understand correctly. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Um I did that for pretty close to about nineteen years. Wow. Over at the narrow. Uh way back in the day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I started um oh geez, maybe back in the late eighties, eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety, somewhere around in there. Uh well, the first time I went to see it was a lot earlier that way. I think 86 was the first time I ever went to actually see it in a theater. And it just blew me away. I'd never seen anything like it. Just the total interaction between the crowd and the the screen, the movie, and the cast that was acting it out in, you know, on the stage and in yeah. the aisles. It was just incredible. It was like a 4D, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it blew me away. And then a few years after that, you know, 
Um, I started getting involved helping out with props and makeup and stuff. And then one night, the guy that was playing, that was Frankenfurter, they couldn't wake him up. He was passed out with whatever he was imbibing that evening. Right. And he didn't have an understudy. So they were calling around everybody in the cast. Hey, you know, we need somebody to play Frank, you know. And um, I'd been wanting to do it. But, I, you know, they <laughs> they told me at the time that only a gay man can play Frank. A straight man can't do it. I'm like, but it's acting. Right. You know, uh, it's pretending right. that you're this character. You don't aren't really a mad science from space that's homosexual, you know. Right. Uh, or multisexual as Frank and yeah, is. Right. But anyway, they were calling around, and I was at a fr- some friend's house that we were going to the show, to, and I was getting my makeup kit together and all, and the person answers the phone, gets off the phone, and says, um, Rob, they need somebody to play Frank. You want to do it? You want me to tell them? I'm like, uh, 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 uh. So you might not get another chance. I'm like, okay. <laughs> said, Rob said he'll do it. Okay, meet you there with a the costume. All right, bye. Nice. And so I got, just got thrown on, basically, without any real practice uh, or anything, and then from then on, they had me... Next couple times that guy couldn't make it or couldn't do it, you know, I got up there and did it. And then after that, I was the understudy. And then that guy left, and I was the Frankenfurter for. Uh, I played Frankenfurter for I think about fourteen years, on on the stage, and then I uh, just emceed it for like another four more after that. Uh, my wife and I ran the cast, uh, produced the show and everything, directed the cast for about ten years in the middle there. And that was a lot of fun. I mean, it was so much fun doing the show. Uh, the audience, the you know, the crowds uh, were a blast. We had a lot of regulars that would keep coming back, and uh, we would do sh- we would do shows. We did some bar shows. We did shows at conventions. It was just so much fun, so much fun playing Frankenfurter and, and being in the Rocky show. Yeah, I mean, I would say to anyone who hasn't has not had the opportunity to go see Rocky. I mean, there are local productions just across, you know, across, oh, yeah. across the world, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, you got to do it. Like it's just you, you have it, to see it live. Yes, like I, I say, the first time I saw I saw it at a friend, like it was a friend's party, and we just watched it on you know, the DVD. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then it was probably a couple of years later before <laughs> I actually went and saw it live at the, and it was. I mean, yeah, it, it's mind blowing. Yeah, well, it's it's like I tell people if you just watch it on DVD. And without a live cast in a theater doing it, it's like watching any other movie with the sound cut off. Yeah, you're only getting no, yeah. half the experience. Um, the whole point of it is to see it in a theater because when it came out, it bombed. Oh yeah, it the movie itself bombed, and then a year or so after that, that it came out, some uh, production assistant or somebody, a distribution guy at 20th Century Fox, got the idea, put it on the midnight circuit. Yep, and it just took off. It found its audience, or its audience found it. People right. slowly started coming dressed as the character, and, you know, as, as characters in the movie, and then started shouting lines. Out. It just happened organically. Yeah, I think know? that's one of the coolest things about it. I know a lot of it started in New York, down at the yeah. at the Waverly. Uh huh. But yeah, it, but the fact that it it spread. Oh yeah, yeah, it just spread across country and then across the world. And um, the narrow is the longest the. Th- I think the third longest running theater, I might have this wrong, in the country, in the United States, the third longest running, second or third longest running last, theater. Last time I went, it was st- it was still third, but I haven't it And it's it like the fourth longest running one in the world. Yeah. Uh, which means they've been showing the movie with a live cast continuously since 78, 79, 77, somewhere in there. Yeah. And the same cast, Fish and Ink, 
Uh, different members, though, over the years keep you yeah. know, filtering in and out, but has been the same, the only cast to do it there, and and has been there the whole time, and they're still there, you know. And it's you know, go see it if you get a chance. Yeah, I, I try. I try. It's been a little bit while since I've gone. I can't remember the last time I went, but I, I, I honestly, you try and go about once every six months, just because it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. And if if you get a chance to go see it in different towns, it's always cool because yep. every cast does things differently, a little things differently, which makes it a real cool experience. Yeah, I've gotten to see it a couple of different places. I went and saw, I saw it. In, I originally saw. I grew up in Phoenix. I saw it there. Oh, cool. Um, I saw it in New York and Chelsea. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because um, they, they actually no longer do it at the Waverly. Yeah, yeah. I is, heard about it some is, years uh, ago. Yeah, uh, it's just kind of a shame. Um, so I think the um, the next the next place they do is in, in New York is, is in somewhere in Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And then um, I've seen some a couple of different um, student productions. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I, a lot of a lot of. Uh, theater and drama major friends in college, so they would invite me. You know, cool. They knew I was into it, so they, they'd invite me to come see it. <laughs> and then, obviously, I've seen it a few times at the Narrow now. So. Yeah, it's it's. I tell you, it was some of the most fun uh, I ever had in my life. Was doing that show for the years that we did it. It was. It had a great uh, had a great audience that you know that was there that kept coming back and uh, and had a great group of people that was performing in the cast at the time. Uh, we just you know. It was a blast. I can't say enough good things yeah. about it. So, uh, backtracking a little bit. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite B movie? <laughs> I know I'm, I'm asking a d- very difficult <laughs> question. It's probably the most difficult question we're going to ask. You, yeah. Right? It, uh, yeah. Uh, f- most favorite. Well, there's not just one. If, even if you break it down into into genres, it's it's hard to pick. You know, any less than four or five at a time. <laughs> uh. Horror wise, I mean, I like all. Well, overall, most of the stuff I, that I really like a lot was the stuff that came out in the seventies. You know, I don't know why. It's just something about that time period um, that really appeals to me. And movies like, uh, like I mentioned, like Grave of the Vampire, a real low budget movie. Um, Children shouldn't play with dead things, and even you know, Texas Chainsaw, yep. which was a low budget movie. It was a low budget kind of B movie that just really took off. You know that that stuff. Uh, you go back to the '60s. I mean, man, you know the '60s and the '50s, the atomic stuff, and then because even Creature from Black, the Black Lagoon was kind was a B movie. Uh, that was one of the most loved Universal monster movies. Yeah, uh, but that was kind of an uh, an atomic age movie too. But it was uh, it heads and shoulders above most of the other ones, like it conquered the world and things like that. Yeah. Uh, man, favorites. Oh God, there's so many. Um, I mean, you know, you get into action and comedy and, uh, oh, I tell you, Death Race 2000 is one of my favorites. Yeah. That's one from the seventies, which is an action, dark comedy, kind of, kind of a, uh, commentary on the, you know, the state of things, but set in the future a little bit yeah. in the far flung future of two, the year 2000, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a, uh, David Carradine and Sylvester Stallone, believe it or not, if really? you haven't seen it, is in that one of his first movies. Yeah. I love that stuff. You know, and any of the early Corman stuff is a lot of fun. Yep. But you know, then you'll, you'll find those gems. Uh, and I say gem, I'm using that term loosely, uh, <laughs> movies that are put out by nobody you've ever heard of. Nobody you've ever heard of is in it. But it's such a bizarre or weird movie. There's one called Zat, which uh, came out in the early, I think late 60s, maybe early 70s. I have it on Blu-ray, believe it or not. Uh, it's about the fact, a, the fact that it made it on a Blu-ray is kind of impressive. Yeah. 
Well, I read about it and the story about it being made and how it was distributed uh, fascinated me so much. I had to hunt it down. They took toured this movie around, and that's what a lot of these B movies too would. Um, they would play regionally, you know, like it might open in New York and then it would make its way down. It'd be shown in New York for a few weeks because there were only a limited number of prints. Right. Then they would show it in the mid south, and then it might go to the deep south, and then it'd go across maybe to the Midwest. So. You know, say a movie came out of New York in January, we might not see it in California or in, you know, Oklahoma until the following January, you know. Right. Um, so they had a, that's why a lot of these things had kind of a slow build, too, and found an audience. But um, this movie, they would tour it around and they would have somebody in the monster costume in a cage out in front of the theater. <laughs> you know, and they'd have, they, sometimes they would stage fake protests. You know, wow. about the monster movie. So they really, it was kind of like a, almost like a William Castle. They went all out to, uh, yeah. to promote it. So, and it was about this guy using, making some serum from catfish for something. Anyway, <laughs> he turned himself into a catfish man. Oh, it, it's awful, but I had to see it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? uh, that's, you know, that, that's one of them. I can't, I don't know if it's one of my favorites or not, <laughs> but it's one I just, I had to seek out to find. Um, William Castle, I just mentioned a minute ago, I watch anything William Castle put out. You talk about a master showman. He would take movies that he made, which were next to nothing as far as uh, story, plot, uh, production, production quality. Production quality, yeah. But he he would have a gimmick. He would sell them with a gimmick. Like 13 Ghosts, okay? Not that great a movie, not that scary a movie, but the gimmick was when you walked into the theater, you got handed a ghost viewer. It was a piece of cardboard with two slits in it and two windows. And one of the windows had a red cellophane over it, and the other window had blue cellophane over it. Now, it was a black and white movie, but the ghosts were filmed in red. Okay, so if you wanted to see the ghost, you looked through the blue. If you were too scared and didn't want to see the ghost, you looked through the red, it would filter them out. Interesting. We did. We showed that at Phantasmo some years ago, and I I have an actual ghost viewer I got off eBay years ago from that when the movie first came out. Yeah, and I used that as a pattern, and I made a hundred of those, nice, <laughs> and gave out to everybody so they could really experience it. And um, it they were it works. I mean, you know, you can see it, it and everybody loved it. Everybody had a ball. It's not that great a movie, but the gimmick they got to participate. Right, but it's so in much it, fun, you know, and um. Another one, Mr. Sardonicus, was another William Castle movie where it, he comes out at the beginning of the movie. William Castle comes on the screen and tells the audience that um, before the movie ends, you get to vote on whether Mr. Sardonicus gets punished or gets away. And when you came to the theater, you got handed a punishment poll card, which is a, a piece of paper that had a thumbs-up sign on it. And if you want him to get away, you hold it up with the thumb up. If you want him to pu- get punished, you hold it with the sign down. Now, this was genius, because he comes back on at the end of the movie and asks everybody in the audience, okay, what do you, you know, do you want to be punished or not? And he looks like he's counting, and he goes, excuse me, ma'am, could you move your hat? Yes, you know, and he's counting, and he goes, okay, well, I guess he gets punished. Well, they only filmed one ending right. where he gets punished, you know? <laughs> right, but it, but it makes you think. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, nice. like he could really see from the screen and count, you know? Yep. There's other movies where the tingler... Uh, which is one of his most famous ones, where it, the tingler, he would rig the motor. He he would come into town, or somebody would come into town to work for him, go into the theater a day or two beforehand, 
and put motors under like five or six seats in a theater. Now, when the tingler would come out, and the only way you can get the tingler to stop is if you scream as loud as you can. Um, when the tingler, the thing would come out, the lights would go down and it'd set off those motors. And of course, it would make people scream. Well, when one person screams, somebody else is going to scream. You know, chain right. reaction thing. And that's one of his most most famous gags. And then House on Haunted Hill, when the skeleton comes out on screen, they had a rubber skeleton that would float over people's heads on a wire what? in the theater. Nice. Yeah, and there was others too. But I mean, that's a... He made these low-budget B pictures, but sold the hell out of them oh, <laughs> to yeah. make people want to come see them. <laughs> oh, that's in, that's incredible showmanship. Yeah, you know, that's something you don't see. That's, I mean, that, that's Barnum and Bailey. Yeah, level uh, PT Barnum level uh-huh. showmanship. Yeah, and just taking it to the next level, taking it into the theater. You know, yep. and you know you won't see, you can't see anything like that nowadays. No, but it's it was so much fun. Uh, to see those movies and it, and if you can experience it, you know, like that. Nice. Actually, my my couple favorites, actually both, uh, top two favorite kind of come actually come from the same person. Um, it's um from the seventies is Dark Star. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. So talked a lot about it in the podcast, but it was Dan O'Bannon uh, writing it. Did some of the writing. It was uh was actually in the film. Did this um, did the special effects. Mm-hmm. And then is one he actually directed, the original Return of the Living Dead. Oh yeah, yeah, uh huh. That, that, that's just like, I'm not a huge, huge zombie fan, but that was really entertaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was funny and it was it was creepy and scary at the same time. Yeah, it was what my one of my college professors referred to as the punk rock. Yeah. Uh, zombie. Yeah. It's also the first one where zombies crave brains. Yeah. Send more cops, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you know, and the second one was basically a remake of the first one. I mean, it had some of the same actors in it playing pretty much the same roles. Yeah, but it was just as big a hit. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, yeah, zombie movies, man. You know, they're they're kind of played out for me. Uh, it and the whole zombie craze. Um, I still love the Romero stuff. Right. Yeah, I was going to say know, the, the early stuff. I was actually going to say same thing. You know, like I'm, I'm really kind of over it. Like I'm not a fan of Walking Dead. I mean, I think Walking Dead's well made and whatnot. But oh yeah, I'm not a huge Walking Dead fan. I'm not. Yeah, me either. I don't go look. But yeah, the the Romero zombie films are still really fantastic, and I still I still enjoy those. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and and I tell you, you know, you talking about the Narrow earlier in Phantasmo on June twentieth, uh, Phantasmo. Cult Cinema Explosion is presenting the original Dawn of the Dead at the Narrow. Nice. In this in the theater. Uh, I can't remember the last time it was shown anywhere near here in a theater. Pro- so, probably when it was released. Probably. So this is kind of a coup here to get, because I've been after them for a lot of years to try to get it, and they weren't able to get it. But I think uh, now that everything's gone pretty much digital, it's easier yeah. for them to get things. So uh, we're going to show that and show me a good classic old zombie movie. Yeah, that, that'd be nice. Yeah, that's going to be a blast. And we'll probably have zombies walking around out front beforehand. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, we were just talking about, I mean, got to sell it, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot. Um, you're talking about zombie movies. There were a lot of B zombie movies in the 70s. After Night Living Dead, you know, trying to cash in on that. Yeah. Uh, the one I mentioned earlier, earlier, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, <laughs> is a good example of a, uh, not a typical zombie movie. Then there was uh, like, uh, oh god, what was it? Zombie Oasis, and uh, <laughs> that one actually sounds familiar. It, it's I think it's on Netflix, 
and there's a few others. There was one shockwaves about zombie Nazis coming back to life, and uh, oh god, there's so many, so many of them from that that time that disappeared because they, yeah. you know, they weren't Night of the Living Dead, you know. Right. Right. Rob, kind of to, to wrap things up, we yeah. like to ask people what what they've been into lately, books or movies or oh yeah. So uh, what have, what have you been checking out lately? Uh, lately, um, well, uh, you know, big movies. I saw Avengers, of course, recently. Yeah. I've been going back and you know just going through like some of the classics. Like I did the one I talked about, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. I watched recently, and it found I enjoyed it more than I remember enjoying it. You know, that's always fun. Uh, it, yeah, it's cool when you see a movie and you sit down and actually watch it again. And it's like, hmm, I don't remember it being I remember it being bad. And this isn't that bad. You know? <laughs> I've watched <laughs> Ed Wood's Orgy of the Dead, which if you've never seen that, treat yourself. It's God awful. <laughs> which that, makes it spectacular. Yeah. Oh, it is. <laughs> it, it's the kind of thing you can put on and just go about your business and have it on in the background and watch it because 90 Probably 95% of the movie is topless chicks dancing. All right, I'm on board. Yeah. It's, it starts out with this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Criswell is in it. He's kind of the narrator. And uh, this couple's driving, and this guy wants to go to this graveyard at night because he's a writer, and it gives him inspiration. Their car wrecks, and they end up, and you know, <laughs> it's funny as hell. And then they walk up to this graveyard where Criswell is the Lord of the Dead and this vampire clone lookalike. And... They're having these women who are, he tells their story of why they died and what what hell they're going to, and but they have to perform for them first. Nice. And so it's uh, one after the other. And <laughs> it, late 60s, early, maybe mid-60s, I can't remember when it was made, but that is an awesomely bad movie, and you must own a copy. Nice. <laughs> I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah, that, uh, you know, that uh been... Uh, trying to get my own uh, podcast that we started a little while back, uh, back on the road here, back together. Uh, last month was just so busy. Uh, yeah. My buddy that does the podcast with me, uh, we just our schedules never matched up, and I was. It seemed like every weekend I was gone, either doing the Hell's a Pop and Freak show down in Currituck at the McCorney's, um Auditorium, which was awesome. If you don't get, it, if you haven't been to see that, check yeah. that out down in Currituck. Okay. Um, a lot of neat stuff in the old, it's a 214 year old house and all this oddities stuff in it is really cool. Nice. Uh, the freak show was awesome. Then title or comic con was just a couple weeks ago. So I was, uh, tapped to be a costume judge for that. So that was a lot of fun. So yeah, been, been busy. Don't feel like I got gotten anything done recently, but I've been busy. <laughs> right. Oh, no, I, I know those, I know those times. It was a, it was really crazy leading up to Tidewater Comic Con. I think. Thankfully, uh, Tracy, my, my our editor, is uh, in Spain right now, and things have mellowed out because we spent two months like bum rushing everything through to, oh, get yeah. it, to get it ready for her to leave, and then now it's like real mellow. Yeah, yeah. So things get back to normal. I have the Phantasmo at the library every other month there, and so that's kind of nice. That's that's back to normal for me. You know, getting yep. that together and stuff. So you you mentioned Phantasmo, yeah. Um, so in general, in general, where can people find uh, you know, the, oh, the okay. things you were involved in? Yeah, uh, uh, well, Facebook is the easiest way to find it. Phantasmo Cult Cinema Explosion. Uh, I usually put up there as soon as we know what the next showing is going to be. I put it up there, and then uh, you know, sporadically throw up notices for it and stuff. And yep. 
uh, anything that relates to it, then the podcast is Phantasmo After Dark. You can find that on Facebook or I think it's phantasmo.podbean.com is to listen to the past episodes or whatever the current one is. Uh, Monster Fest, uh, the once a year horror convention we do, the one the one day horror convention we do once a year in October at the same place, the Chesapeake Central Library. Um, this year we've got uh, Veronica Carlson, who was in The Hammer's Dracula Has Risen from the Grave and Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Ooh, very uh, nice. She'll be there this year, and she's such a sweet lady. If you ever, you know, if you can make it at all, uh, come and meet her because she is so cool. And it's uh, Dr. Mablet's 40th anniversary we'll be celebrating. That should be fun. Yeah. So that, that's on uh, Facebook. You can find out that information or at monsterfestva.com. We've got our little website going on. Um, and then, of course, Phantasmo Cult Summit Explosion uh, or the Narrows website, you know, the information for the Dawn of the Dead showing there. So that's kind of, I think that's about it that I've got going on. <laughs> Steady stuff anyway. Very nice. Well, Rob, again, I mean, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Appreciate it. So, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head on over to thereforegeek.com. Check out our blog posts and our podcasts. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thereforegeek, on Twitter at thereforegeek, and Tracy is at Mary Eyes. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher. Go ahead and uh, subscribe and leave us a review. So once again, I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Therefore a Geek.